0: For now, let me pray and we're going to dive in to our morning. God, thank you so much for who you are. Um, Thanks that we can be in this place. Thank you that you are the Lord of your church um, and you are building your church. And the church that you're building um, is is one that never passes away. It can't be um, stolen. It can't be, uh, nothing can stand in the way because you said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not. Overpower it. But the the unique aspect of those words that you spoke um, to Peter on that fateful night was that you chose to use us to be the vehicle by which you would build your church when you said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. God, let us be people um, who can stand up underneath that by your strength. Be people who are so committed to loving you, loving your people, loving the world that we become um, we become just a vehicle for the powerful realities that the gospel holds in our lives. So, Lord, this morning as we contemplate this stuff, I pray that you would would work hard in us, that you would work thoroughly in us, and that we would open our hearts and lives to whatever it is that you have for us this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the final week, week three of this series that we've been in called Gathered, and we've been talking about the significance of the gathered church. Why do we gather? For what purpose? And, and if I'm being totally honest, which I am, I usually am, always, hopefully, um, it, being honest, Like I, I've, I've wanted very much for something to take place in your hearts through this series as you came, um, and really specifically for your, your value and prioritization of our gatherings to become something that goes up. A little bit. That's the truth. I want you to show up. And we've been talking about that the last couple weeks. Why it matters. Why do we gather? What's the purpose behind it? What's the significance of it? Um, hoping to add some sense of value to, to why we do this thing. And, and, and yeah, I want you here. We t- I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I've often imagined what it might feel like if everybody who calls Finding Life Church their home actually came on a Sunday morning. It would be super exciting, energetic, all of the above. Um, but Travis then talked about the body of Christ and how important it is that your gifts, that my gifts, that, that who you are is reflected in the personality of Finding Life Church. And the even more and bigger reality connected with that is that we can't be who we're called to be without you. We can't do it, right? Ephesians chapter 4 talks about uh, about gifts that are being given out to people, vocations, like, like we all collectively measure up to the fullness of Jesus Christ. And I can't do that on my own. I can't do that without you. You can't do that without me and the person sitting next to you and all the people who aren't here. So we reflect the heart of God better for his church when we gather, it's important, it's significant. Never do we want to guilt anyone ever into being here or doing anything, but I would love for this series to produce in you a renewed sense of commitment to showing up. And this morning, we're gonna take a slightly different like, track because ultimately, you know that my heart for you, for this church, is not, is not that you become people who are really good at showing up to church. That has never, ever been a value for finding life. Um, So I want to bring a little bit more context into what that means today. Um, I have the sense that the church in America in 2017 has simply become another aspect of our consumer culture. That for the most part, we view the church and its mission, its gatherings, its values as discretionary or an add-on. And if I have time, a convenience-oriented approach. Here's what I believe. Your commitment to the mission of Jesus through the local church is the difference between the gospel being a worn-out, irrelevant set of, of beliefs and a, and a transformational movement that has the potential to right every wrong, to heal every hurt, and renew every heart. It's our commitment to the local church. It's God's plan A. This is, this is how he chose to spread his gospel when he, li- when he left, and there's, there's really no plan B. And so God will never give up until he sees his bride, the church, spotless, and living in the mission that they were called to. That belief leads me to the conviction that we have to wake up, we have to stop going through the motions, we have to stop asking what's in it for me, and we have to stop consuming. And it starts by engaging uniquely with the mission of Jesus in the context of real community, choosing to believe that the statement we are better together, which is like a really popular statement, right? We like to use that. It sounds fantastic, we are better together, but how many of us really know what that means how many of you would, would, would say that in my life, in my faith, I can say that there are people around me that are daily, moment by moment, actually making me better, driving me deeper into intimacy with Jesus, challenging me about my commitment to the kingdom first, pointing out weaknesses in my life. See, we can't do that by ourselves. And in fact, the more isolated we become, the, the less aware of who we are we become, and the more ineffective we are at being the vehicle that God longs for us to be in a world that's so desperate for him. We're better together, and it's true. It's not a catchphrase. It's, in fact, a timeless biblical reality, a truth to be embraced and lived out, a mindset towards the church that could change our entire world, and I believe the course of human history, and I know that at times I'm given to extremes. But guess what? So was Jesus, right? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's about as extreme as you're ever gonna hear, right? So if you don't like extreme you're not going to be real excited about Jesus. And I believe he's calling us to something. He had plans for his church. On that last, his last day on earth when he stood around with his closest friends, the ones that, that watched him live life. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. And you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think that he had something in mind. That wasn't like now kind of choose your own adventure, make it up as you go. It was really clear what he wanted us to do. And I believe our effectiveness in living that out has everything to do with us embracing the reality of community. It's not a question for rhetoric today. Do we want this? And we're actually going to have a time of reflection at the end of our service this morning. Um, See this thing over here is really pretty. Um, We're going to use it this morning. And I'll talk about that more later. But that is our truth for this morning, um, we is greater than me. We have to choose we over me. It's not a question um, that, we, that can go unanswered. We're going hit to it, hit it right on the head this morning. We're going to draw a line in the sand and reflect on the condition of our hearts in relation to this. How do you approach your church family? How do you approach your church community, your values? Is it part of who you are or is it an add-on to your life? Do you want your church experience to be about meeting a need or a set of needs you feel would make your life better? Or do you want your church experience to be built around the kingdom of God, to transform your way of thinking, to dictate the way that you live your life? So are two very different things. There's no in-between. There's not really a middle ground. You are, one, you are on one side of the, or the other. Is your church experience about you or is about us? Me or we? Are you here for you? Are you, are, you, are you after what you want or what, what, you, what you want to see God do in your life or are you in it with us? It's a tough question. And I've said it before, the most natural tendency for human beings is selfishness. So naturally, every single one of us gravitates towards a me way of thinking unless we guard our hearts against it. And what the church turns into when it's a collective of people who are all looking to get theirs, it's not pretty and God can't use it to transform the world. It cannot be the movement that he intended for the church to be. So here it is, the question I want you to consider all morning, and then we're going to respond to this question at the end. Do you approach Finding Life Church looking for what it can give you, or are you looking for what you can give to Finding Life Church? Um, a me-first attitude threatens the mission of Jesus. A me-first attitude limits what God can do in my life. A me-first attitude cripples the potential of the local church. Why? Why? Because in God's infinite wisdom, he made community a central part of the local church, of the mission of Jesus. The mission needs tons of people, but not just people, unified people, passionate and unselfish people. Right From the very beginning, when God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, right it was a community focus. I'll make you into a great nation, and through that, I'm going to bless the whole world. It wasn't just about Abraham. If Abraham would have gone, man... God came to me, I'm awesome. That wasn't his intention. It wasn't what God wanted. He wanted to use a nation. In Exodus chapter 19, when, when God uses Moses to call his people to be a kingdom of priests, he says it like this, Now if you will obey me and keep my, co- and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth Far, all, for all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests My holy nation. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, he said it to a group. See, the local church was never meant to be a bunch of individuals, but a group, a collective of people who believe that one thing matters more than anything else, and it's the fulfillment of the Great Commission. To catalyze a movement, this thing God has called us to cannot be accomplished with a me-first mentality because you aren't enough. The church was designed to be God's vehicle for the gospel. And that vehicle is more like a bus than it is like a motorcycle. We need each other. We're better together. The church by design is community-centric from the onset. I read this. We've read this every week in Acts chapter 2 where we see the first believers coming together. Listen to all of the community commitment that exists here. And I don't think they did anything on purpose. It was just there's something about the gospel that, that is meant to drive us deeper into relationship with God, but also into relationship with one another, prioritizing one another. Listen to the language. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in their meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. Here, It's all. It's, it's together. It's, it's collection of people. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in houses for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. This is a description of this faith community that's meant to give us a, a glimpse into what it looked like. It's less about how they're gathering. We're, we're not trying to imitate anything here, but what we but what we see is this value. This sort of innate value. This is something the gospel sort of stirred up in these people, and it just flowed out of their lives. And the results were the best part, right? Verse 47, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Together, one mind sharing everything, committed to community, and God blessed it like crazy. We live in, in a world that is so incredibly individualistic. And the church dies when we choose individualism over community. I've often, in my 15 years of ministry, eight years here at Finding Life, like struggled with God over this. How, do we, how, how can we be the church that he's called us to in a culture that seems set against community in every imaginable way? And we can strategize till we're blue in the face about how to create community. And all we really do is like, oh, we can come up with is like potluck dinners, where nobody's really connected. How do we cultivate this kind of community? I don't know. It has to be a movement of the Holy Spirit, but it begins with us choosing individually to value something corporately, something that's bigger. Bottom line, if you care about the mission of Jesus, you have to care about the gathered church. God never intended for us to go on a solo mission. Whether we we are together or not, his desire is that we feel connected on mission together like a team. When we're here, when we're not here, when we're on the other side of the country, when we're on vacation, when we're sitting in these, in these seats, his desire is that we would be of one mind, clear on the mission that we've been called to, and standing with one another in prayer, in relationship. Get this, the church is not the church unless it is, a com- it is community-driven, community-centric. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter. One. This is where I want to flesh this out for us today. And instead of talking about how much the church sucks when we go at it from a me standpoint, I want to talk about how powerful it can be if we go at it from a we standpoint. More than that, I want to give you a sense of what it looks like to go at this from a we standpoint. So Romans chapter 1 is what we're going to look at for the rest of our morning. And it's Paul, and he's, he's writing this letter to th- these, the Christians in Rome, right? He's meaningful to them. They're meaningful to him. And his opening in all of his letters kind of have the same tone. It's more like, hey, get a glimpse of my heart before I start giving you instructions about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and what you, gotta, you need to knock off doing and, and how you're ruining your lives and how great you are, all of that. right? So it's a glimpse into his heart and what he cares about. And, it, and it's, it's a letter, right? So see it that way. Imagine you're writing a letter to a group of people that matter a ton to you. And you're starting off by, by just telling them how much you love them. This is what Paul is doing I'm going to read it, and then we'll dive in, Um, starting in verse 8, actually. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all of my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at least to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from the start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith and a righteous, that a righteous person has life. It's, it's, it, do you feel Paul's um, passion, his emotion related to writing this letter? It's really just saying, man, I love you and I miss you, and I'm telling you all the ways that my life sort of like proves that I love it and, and I miss you. I'm uniquely tuned in to Paul's words in these contexts, and I found myself reading them often because I feel like I'm entering into a season like this. Um, looking back and seeing these people that he's worked with and he loves so much and praying for them and sort of watching from a distance, hearing about the cool things that God is doing and just wishing with everything in him that he could be there, to be part of it, to see it up close, to encourage and be encouraged. You can feel his love for the church in these sentences, his value for them, for their community. These words are dripping with Paul's desire to see the church connected, empowered, and impactful, right? If you've got your outline, you can follow along with me. The first thing I see here in these in these um, these words is a we first attitude doesn't take the church for granted. Seeing Paul's heart, he starts in verse eight. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in Him is being talked about all over the world. Paul is grateful. He's thankful for this community of believers, not not just for the support that he receives from them, but for what God is doing with them in the world, continuing the mission that he began. He's thankful. He's absent. He's not with them, but he recognizes his need for them. He's thinking of them in his absence and thankful for the life-giving nature of their relationships. Here's the question. When you weren't here, do you miss it? When you wake up in the morning, is, is community a chore? And we are so, I mean, you know this as well as I do. In America, we are so spoiled. We're like the spoiled little kid who has, who has everything. And all of his stuff is, is boring for him now. All this great, amazing stuff his parents have bought him. Video game systems and TVs and, and cars and trucks and whatever. He's looking around. He's like, I don't really, this, you know, whatever. I just want some new stuff. This is us in America Right, We have so taken for granted our ability to gather and worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And they right now, I don't know if right now, but in China there are people hiding their worship, gathering underground because they could lose their life if they were found to be worshiping the one true God in that country. I imagine them looking at us going, oh, it was a long night last night. I think I'm going to sleep in today. I got a little cough. I'm going to stay home. You know, I imagine, what would they think if they knew that was our approach to church, that it was an add-on? You know, Being tired, busy, or just bored keeps us from gathering in America. Meanwhile, the church in China is gathering by the thousands upon thousands, even with the threat of death connected to their worship. A we first attitude doesn't take the church for granted, and I am at a total loss. I don't know how to change that. I'm not sure we can, unless maybe we experience some persecution like they do. Maybe we might need each other a little bit more. But I want to believe that it doesn't have to take that. That we can stop. We can stop and and reflect on the reality that we we get to do this. We get to gather in the name of Jesus. We get to celebrate his resurrection, his grace in our lives. We get to do it together. And I long, I long for us to, to know the gratitude that Paul is talking about that you sense in his words in these verses for the community. that we might give our hearts to it and give our lives to it. Instead of giving life to our own lives, we give life to our community. That would be amazing. Secondly, a we first attitude engages even in absence. If we only engage the church with a me first attitude when we are here and then then when we are not here, it is out of sight, out of mind, What are we really adding to the community, right? If your connection to finding life is solely based on your presence here on a Sunday morning, your best case scenario is that you'll be engaged four times, four times a month. So four hours over the course of a month. What are the chances that your heart is gonna feel connected to anything? One of the things that I just, I constantly hear and like drives me up the wall is, I just, I didn't feel connected. I hear that, come out of people's mouths talking about their church all the time. You might have said it before. You might have felt it before. It's not a wrong thing to feel, but what do you expect? Four hours a month? Sitting in rows? No, see, the church isn't a program on Sunday mornings. And God's desire is that we would engage with who we are in the context of everyday life, not just when we gather Listen to Paul. God knows how often I pray for you, day and night. Remember, Paul is not with them. He's writing this letter saying, I wish I was with you, but listen, even though I'm gone, I am still engaged heavily in the mission you're on together. I'm still part of you. Here it is. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all of my heart by spreading the good news about his son. You hear it? Isn't that awesome? He is engaged even though he's not there, maybe doing a more meaningful work there, not present than he could even with them. Right? Here's his heart. See what he is doing. You can too. You're not going to be here all the time. I know that. It would be silly to expect that. Especially since we're actually not here all the time. Like 4 hours a month, that's all you can possibly get out of finding life from a, like a corporate standpoint. That's not enough. So who are we Monday through Saturday, right? How do we engage? How do we embrace the values and the lifestyle of Finding Life Church in absence, when we're not together, taking on Paul's heart? We engage through prayer. And this is where it begins. This is the fastest and easiest way to connect your heart, even your absence, through prayer. What if each of us recognized that Sunday mornings from 10.30 to 11.30, whether we're here or not, we're gonna engage through prayer, Praying for the people that we're around from 10:30 to 11:30, praying for the people who will show up, praying for God's work to be powerful in the midst of the lives of the people who do show up, praying that God God would, would be laced into every conversation we have throughout our week. What if that was just something we did? That's engaging through prayer. There's not a more meaningful we've said it m- meaningful thing to do. We've said it before. Prayer is the work, and any other work doesn't really work. You can engage through prayer. That would be crazy powerful. Secondly, you can engage through personal development. This is less about Sunday mornings and more about recognizing that this church is a body and we are better together. But we are all parts of that body and if we don't choose to pursue Jesus' intimacy with him, allow him to continually transform our lives, we aren't, we're not going to like serve the body well at all. We don't continue to develop and grow and be transformed by right? having our minds renewed by the power of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We make, we make us better. We are better together at the rate that we are individually moving towards intimacy with Jesus. In The everyday moments of our lives. We can engage through relationship. Even when we're not here, have people in your homes throughout the week. Go get coffee. Challenge one another to grow. Do you see it's an all-life thing? It's the way it works. If you imagine it from a family standpoint, if you only talk to your kids four hours a month, and we'll, how connected would that family be? Right? You know better than that. It doesn't work that way. And yet we've come up with these like, sort of silly ideas of community. And we, like, sort of, we feel good when we get 10 minutes in the hallway with somebody to talk about their job. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But friends, we will never be the movement that God has called us to if we don't choose to embrace the, fa- the, the fact that you are part of something. Not on Sundays. You're part of something 24-7. And that something is urgent because it is God's vehicle for the gospel. If we don't go, who will? It has to matter. We have to engage through relationship, not just on Sunday mornings. Engage through leaning. Then fourthly, engage through leaning into the mission. Live the mission. Nothing will connect your hearts in a greater way than knowing you are on a collective mission with a group of other people. Right? When I go, when I live when I step into the lives of other people, I know that you are too. And we're doing that together even though we're separate. And that's really at the, the, the root of what Paul is, is so excited about. He knows the mission is continuing forward even in, in his absence. Man, in some cases, we're better together separate. If that makes sense. The gospel can, can flourish and thrive when we scatter. We can come back and celebrate the reality of what God is doing, but not unless we choose to engage even in our absence, that's what it means to be part of a church family, a church community, a, a gospel centered church community recognizes this reality. We have to stay engaged whether we're here or not. The choice to do this will produce the next point on your outline a we first attitude longs to be connected. Like, how do you do that, right? I could sit out here and say, You should long to be connected, you should really want to be here, but that's kind of silly, right? You can't conjure that up. You can't make that happen in your life as much as you might want to. I could maybe guilt you into it. Or, you know, if we set the lighting just right and make sure that our programming is really, really spot on and feed you as good as we possibly can, then maybe you'll start to feel like, man, I miss it when I'm not there. But we've, we're not gaining anything. Right? The only way we can become people who long to be together is if we choose to engage outside Engage with, with who we are in the context of Monday through Saturday. But a we first attitude longs for it. Listen to Paul, verse 11. For I long to visit so I can bring you something, some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. See, he understands the value. He understands the value added to his life by choosing to give and to receive in the context of genuine faith community, and he longs for it. Paul longs to be with these people because his heart is invested in them. He isn't thinking, what can I get? He is thinking, what can I give? And that makes him eager. The more he gives his heart to it, the more eager he becomes. The more he has invested, the more longing arises in his heart. I think that so much of the time, you know, we your heart's never going to be connected to anything that you're not giving yourself to. Like, more than you'd like to give. That's what connects our hearts to things. That's what makes us long for things, believe in things. If you think about Finding Life Church once a week, or if you think about it only when you are here, or only in the context of what you can get from it, I promise you will never be truly connected. And that's going to be true about any local church you choose to connect with. God's desire is that we would give, we would give our our hearts and our lives to his mission together. And in that context we become people who long, who yearn, who are eager to be together, to share stories, to add to one another's lives, to give our hearts to what matters most together. And lastly, a we first attitude has the mission mission we are on together at the forefront in presence or absence. And this is where you see like the bottom line for Paul. What really matters most to him is the movement of the gospel no matter what. Right? For I'm not ashamed, he concludes, of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Right? Paul's commitment to the gospel supersedes everything else. His commitment to people finding Jesus is like that's what matters to him. And that's what he wants to really link people's hearts together most. So his, concluding, his clu- concluding thoughts in this section of scripture is, oh, by the way, this is the thing that it's all about. This is what's like the foundational element of our community. This is what knits our hearts together. Believing in the same thing. Giving our hearts for the same thing. Laying down our lives in every way we can for the same thing. Man, when you, when you link arms with somebody that's going after the same thing as you are and it's really, really hard and you're sacrificing with one another, your hearts are knitted together like nothing else. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what you hear oozing out of his life. He's got this one-track mind to the mission of the church. He knows that the mission is the one thing that connects them, so he reminds them of it. It doesn't matter if he is there or not. He is praying, pursuing, and living, and that's what makes him feel connected. We talk about lifestyle all the the time around here. One of our core values is immersion, right? We talk about about being focused on what matters most. We talk about being people that have grace just like oozing out of our lives. We talk about authenticity, being people who live lives that, that, that proclaim Christ simply by the way that we choose to live. We talk about graciousness and we talk about immersion, living our lives connected with people. Right? in the everyday moments of life. And we scatter from this place. And if, the, if the, 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 the mission of the church is actually what we exist for and not Sunday mornings, then we don't leave the church because the church isn't contained by four walls. We leave and we go continue to be the church in our world. And we come back here to celebrate. And the more we do, the more it knits our hearts together, the more exciting it becomes, the more we see God at work Paul knows the mission he is on. It's what's taken him away. And it's what will ultimately keep him connected in his absence. Um, we're going to wrap here um, with a little time of reflection. Um, so we see you see this uh, chalkboard over here. Um, and it says, we over me, right? This is sort of like uh, an image that I love to like have branded into your head. And, and Jared and Bethany put this together for us, and it's incredible. i um, a... Uh, Last night, as I was texting with them, like, you know, is it going to be ready in time? And, and, and they were, they're like, man, we're going to have to maybe do it in the morning because it's getting dark now because they'd spent the entire day loving their neighborhood, their neighborhood and it was such a perfect picture to me of what what we're talking about as they're putting a sign together that says we over me they they're setting actually aside this programmed element for actually living the mission of finding life church in the community that they live in and it was a powerful kind of like representation of what this means and so this morning as we as we start to wrap up i'm going to give you uh, i'm going to give you 15 minutes actually we're going to sing three songs um, your kids are actually going to come back and so they can participate in this with you, not the really little ones, but um, the older kids. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to play these songs, and, and you, you're going to come up if you want to. You don't have to. Um, but we're going to cover, there's, there's chalk in this dish over here. We're going to cover that board all around it with your thoughts. And here's what I want you to think about. Before I do, I want to read Matthew chapter 6. Because ultimately, not all of Matthew chapter 6, um, ultimately the only way that this can flesh itself out in real life is when if God does something in our hearts, right? It has to start with our hearts. We can't just choose to be these things because the most natural thing coming out of every human being is selfishness. So naturally, we're going to flip that and we're going to say me over we every single time unless unless we get intentional and do something different. And so this begins with us recognizing that this is not a natural approach to community. This doesn't come natural to you but this is non-negotiable. So what do we do? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus kind of tells us how we connect our hearts to things. (laughs) It says this, in starting in verse 19, don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where the thieves break in and steal. Store, Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be Also, in this context, like this verse has often been used to talk about money. This is not really about money. This is about you. You are the treasure. Everything at your disposal. He's saying whatever you give yourself to, whatever you sacrifice for, you're going to naturally link your heart to. Whether you want it or not. Whatever you think about most. Whatever you pray about most. Whatever you worry about most. Whatever you spend the most on. That's going to be the thing that your heart is most closely connected to. So how do we change our hearts? We give. We pursue. We lay it down. We sacrifice everything we have, everything we can, for the sake of linking our hearts to what matters most. So here we are. Your treasure is all your best. It's everything you've got. It's the first thing. So often our engagement with our church family, our church community is actually like rooted in, it's like an add-on. It's whatever I've got left to give. And if you're anything like me, if you get to Sunday and hope you have something left to give, man, what do you have left? You got nothing. You're worn out. You're exhausted. Right? And, and God is calling us to give our best, our first, and do it sacrificially every chance we get and as we do that our hearts, our hearts will be knitted knitted with one another. You won't be able to stop it, I promise. So is your treasure here, your time, your energy, your resources? are you giving yourself of yourself sacrificially to make this community better or are you just doing it because you feel like you have to? Or are you consuming? If not, you will never be fully connected. What the church needs to become the movement of God intended it to be is a culture of people that engage with the relationships, mission, and movement regardless of attendance. The church needs a culture of people that is giving their treasure, their everything, their first and their best to see the mission of God move forward. The church needs each of us to recognize that God wants so much more from us than to just show up. He wants our hearts connected with one another In unity on mission so the world can watch us love. Then it becomes powerful. So here we are in this space, um, in this morning, for reflection and response. And and like I said, they're going to play three songs. We've got plenty of time, okay? Fifteen minutes. Your kids are here. We're going to engage with this. Um, And so when you come up, I'm going to start and I'm going to kind of show you what we're doing here. as you reflect, uh, when the mu- as the music plays, and as you consider what, what, what I've been talking about this morning, I want you to come up with a word or a phrase that's like a phrase of commitment. Like, what would it take? What do you need to do? What does God need to do in your heart for finding life to become the kind of community that catalyzes movement, a movement of the gospel in our world? How is God convicting you this morning? Maybe it's, maybe it's simply related to... Um, like a selfish, uh, a selfish mentality, maybe it's one of the four things on, that, on your worship flyer. I want you to come and, and write a word of commitment or a phrase of commitment. What is it that you need to do that God's calling you to do to change, to be purposeful about building the kind of community that c- c- could catalyze movement in our world? I'm going to start and I'm going to tell you what mine is. I'm going to write higher. I'm going to write Urgent prayer. You don't have to write your name. Um, just come up. Write what you want to write. Somewhere, taller people, write higher. Um, you're not going to push it over, but, like, let's not try. Because <laughs> it's really heavy, and that would be bad, okay? Um, but just pray. Just as, as the songs are, are playing, just engage with worship. Um, ask God to convict your heart about what this means. Maybe it's, maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe it's sacrifice, one word. Maybe it's unselfishness, serve prayer intentionality whatever you want to say whatever god is doing in your heart i want to fill that with with commitments from us that we might become a community that chooses at least to acknowledge you know maybe you're writing maybe you're going to write something up there that's like you wish you want it to be true about you maybe that's still where you're at that's okay just write it so let's not do a mad rush for the stage because everybody at once probably wouldn't work. Um, but, but reflect for a while. We've got 15 minutes. We're going to use these stairs over here to come up. So come down, go up this way, all the way around. Do your thing here and then walk in front um, and go down those stairs just so it's a little bit um, a better flow. And we're just going to pray. And if you want to stay in your seat, if finding life is really not your church home, you're a visitor or you're still not sure, don't feel any obligation whatsoever to engage with this today. But if you want to, if you heard something that you liked and you said, this is, this is exactly what I want to be part of, then feel free to come and participate in this. We're just going to take about 15 minutes. Um, it's your space. It's your time. Worship him and reflect on what he's calling to you, you to this morning.